This is the WTF Bach Podcast. This is the podcast about all things Johann Sebastian Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. WTF Bach. Brought to you by Evan Shinners. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. And now, here's WTF Bach. Back at it. It's WTF Bach, the heteronym one of them, of the much less famous Evan Shinners. The goal of this podcast is to get you to hear Bach the way I hear this music, to be your guide in uncovering certain aspects, certain nuggets within the construction. It will help you come away with a deeper appreciation for his art. You will enter having heard Bach's music without an introduction and later go away knowing exactly what to set your ears upon. So let's locate ourselves in this giant work called The Art of Fugue. There are 14 fugues and four canons. We've gone through 13 fugues and three canons, so that leaves one canon and one fugue before we've concluded a pretty nice survey through this dense world, this immense contrapuntal masterpiece. And as you've seen throughout this podcast, the fugues tend to get more increasingly complex, as do the canons. And so this episode, the final canon, the fourth of four canons, it will cover by far the most complicated two-part canonic writing. First, let's hear it. Let's just give you a blind hearing, see if you can get anything out of it. Blind hearing? Is that a is that a thing? Here we go. Thank you. 
Now, for those of you saying that that doesn't sound like a harpsichord and that doesn't sound like a piano or an organ, well, you are correct. That is a clavichord. Indeed, that is the clavichord played by a man named Richard Troger. I believe I'm saying that correctly. He's an American clavichordist and his work is very impressive. And I just discovered him while looking for a recording to play for you. So thank you very much for your work, Mr. Troger. We've heard this fourth of four canons, the final canon. And if we look back at the other canons, the three previous ones, we first had a canon at the octave, then a canon at the tenth, then one at the twelfth. So our intervals are increasing. It's something similar that we found in the Goldberg variations. So this should be a canon at the fourteenth. Well, actually, in this canon, Bach takes a different direction. He creates an inverted canon, but not only an inverted canon, the answer, that is the voice responding to the first voice, will come in augmentation and upside down. So this is an inverted and augmented canon. Now, one of those techniques, just one of those techniques, is enough to confound your average conservatory student in theory class, but both of them? Why, that's Bach. It even gave Bach sufficient challenges, too. But what does that mean? What does it mean, inversion and augmentation? We've seen both these techniques, actually, in the previous episodes in the fugues. We've seen the theme inverted in the fourth fugue and the third fugue. We've seen augmentation in the seventh fugue. But just to review what they are, inversion, which you may also call contrary motion, is a technique where the interval's direction is changed. So each ascending interval becomes a descending interval and vice versa. And augmentation is simply taking twice the amount of time to say the same thing. Here I'll play the Art of Fugue theme normally. And now I'll play it in augmentation. You notice it takes twice the amount of time to play exactly the same music. So when you combine these techniques, you get your answer in this canon coming upside down twice as slow. The upper voice will present the subject, which as usual is going to be our artifugue theme, but sort of tinkered with by Bach. We can hear the normal sounding theme hovering in this. And this theme will last four bars, which means that the lower voice will now take eight bars to answer it because it's augmented. essentially the principle, the operating principle of this canon. But what happens to the structure? What happens to the overarching form? Well, imagine you're saying something and the person next to you is saying the same thing but taking twice as long to say it. Well, you'll realize right away that if you keep speaking, the person next to you is never going to be able to catch up to you. About 50% of the things that you have said will go unsaid if that person continues to be twice as slow. And this happens in the canon, if you follow. The upper voice starts, and the lower voice, upside down, is twice as slow. But halfway through the canon, as we've seen in the other canons, the lower voice decides, eh, I want a piece of that action. He wants to be the leader. And so now he starts speaking at the normal pace, and the upper voice then follows moving twice as slow. Okay, but what happened to the other half of the music that the upper voice said that the lower voice would have never been able to catch up to? The same thing. Now that the lower voice is moving at a normal speed, the upper voice is in augmentation suddenly, and eventually the lower voice will get to say all those things which went unsaid in the first half of the piece. 
I mean, this is much easier shown visually, but I suppose that's the challenge of this podcast genre to get you to hear it without any visual aids. So let's just try and imagine something else. If you have to read something that's two pages long and your friend only has to read one page, but as soon as your friend finishes, now he begins reading the same thing you're reading two pages long, while meanwhile you finish and only move on to something that's one page long, right? So it means that you'll finish about the same time and you've all read the same thing. That's sort of what's going on here. At least your heads are now in this space, this interesting augmented time space, which was so fascinating to Bach. Now, I mentioned that Bach went through certain challenges when dealing with this canon, and the history of this canon is very rich. We see a few versions of it, actually. We see in the autographed manuscript the canon first appearing as the twelfth piece, and then again in that same autographed manuscript it appears after the fourteenth piece as the fifteenth piece, but now revised. I love this type of revision in Bach. We can see his mind at work. We can see him, seemingly after completing the bulk of the work of the autographed score, thinking, hmm. I can do better. So let's take a look at the early version then, and not only the difference in the notes in the early versions, but all aspects that are different. It's very interesting when you look at how he presented this in the autograph manuscript and the things that he sort of tossed out when he decided to print it. For example, in the autograph manuscript, Bach gives us a single strip of music, since a canon, after all, is only one line of music repeated in a different way at different times. So this is possible. He writes canon apertus, open canon. And he's done this for all the canons in the autograph, actually. He's just given us the seed of what will later become the tree. And he invites the student, he invites us, to solve the canon. But luckily for us mortals, he writes on the next page the canon clausus, the closed canon, and solves it for us. Also interesting is that he uses Greek again. We saw this in the canon at the octave. He used the Greek word hypodiapason, which is an antiquated way of saying octave. And here for this canon, the canon al roversio e per augmentationem, canon in contrary motion and by augmentation, he also gives the Greek word hypodiatesaron. Hypo meaning under, and diatessaron is again an antiquated way of saying the interval, the musical interval of a fourth, meaning that the answer will come a fourth under the leading voice. Studying this early version, the strip of music, the canon apertus, the open canon, the strip sounds like this. was composing the consequences, the full version of this piece of music from only one line entirely in his head. 
Imagine doing that. Imagine hearing the consequences of two lines from one line of music, forming a two-part composition using only one line. But I'm not talking about a simple row, row, row your boat imitation on the same note stuff. This is imitation down a fourth and an inversion and twice as slow. Why, that is only the skill that is the result of the largest musical family tree in history and the genius that is Bach. And the genius that is yours truly just realized he mixed up the terms when he was talking just now of Abertus and Clausus. The canon that is this strip is indeed called the Clausus canon, the closed canon, and the solution is the open canon. So here is the open canon, the solution to the strip I just played, as played now by Robert Hill. This is the early version of the same canon as presented at the beginning of the episode.
So you can see that this version is a lot more florid. There are a lot more notes in it. The question is, why would Bach do something like that? Why would he take an already elaborate and ornate piece of music and revise it to something which is seemingly more simple? Because haven't you said, Herr WTF, that Bach goes from simple to complicated in revision? But what's happening here in the revised canon is that he's going for a contrapuntal sort of complexity, a contrapuntal complicating of everything. And here's, here's what I mean. In the initial version, once we get past the theme, the material is mostly scalar. These scales These scales will eventually morph into something which, in the revised version, is this. So if you're imagining turning a scale upside down and twice as slow, it's a lot more interesting to use these obtuse intervals because those turn into something like this. So the consequences can be seen in a measure like measure 7, for example. The original version sounds like this. Whereas measure 7 in the revised versions... We see the left hand here stepping down in those sixths which were originally presented in the upper voice. And of course the upper voice itself is more interesting. And this chromatic scale was simply a descending scale. So Bach is going for something more angular, and even though he doesn't have all these fast notes that the early version has, we have a more interesting composition because of these sharper angles that eventually get inverted and played twice as slow. Now, I mentioned that halfway through the piece, the leader switches and the leader becomes the lower voice. I'm going to play for you now Gustav Leonhardt's version, and I will point out the moment at which that happens. You can listen for it because his left hand will announce that same theme. And that will be your cue that it has started over.
And here it is. The left hand switches. Now the left hand is leading. And the right hand will go twice as slow. In case any of you listening have already rushed out to the record store because you just can't wait to hear that canon again, you're perusing the back of the LPs and you see this canon, Aurovertio e per augmentationem, listed as canon number one. Well, that can be explained by the errors in the original print. Again, I won't go into the details so much here since they've mostly been mentioned in the earlier episodes, but essentially there were blank pages in the original copyist's print which were supposed to be filled with the completion of the final fugue as well as these four canons, but the order was mixed up and they printed this one, the most complicated canon, first. Hence, it is sometimes referred to as number one, but by all means, this canon is the last canon. This canon is the culmination of all canonic art, really. And even on those records where this canon is still called canon number one, it often and usually follows the other canons naturally. Now, as we saw in this canon, and indeed all the canons in the Art of Fugue, at a certain point, the follower becomes the leader and the leader becomes the follower. We are going to see this, but now in my version of it, where I've begun with the leader following and the follower leading, you understand? So I've sort of switched everything around. I've put the right hand playing the left hand part and the left hand playing the right hand part.
that's it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. That canon is indeed just a miracle of music, I think. That technique of creating an answer that goes twice as slow and in inversion is just something that you, if you are musically literate, you have to try it yourself. See if you can even make a piece that's four bars long that uses that same technique to imagine that what we just heard in all of those different versions is actually only one line of music, but sort of mutated by a technique, by almost like a mathematical principle. That's just absolutely stunning that he's able to get those results. Next episode. My God, could it be the last one in the outer few? I don't know. Do you know? Does anyone know? You didn't know you were doing it. Thank you, thank you. You are listening to the WTF Bob Podcast. Send us a donation on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. WTF Help keep this podcast alive. Support us. Find the links in the episode description. What a great thing to be listening to WTF Thank you. Thank you for listening. Hey, hey.